I'm sorry, I, I didn't want to lie to you in here. It was beautiful. Are you going to say grace now? I want to ask you about something. And it's personal. We didn't have any dinner. Oh, someone thinks a lot. I have an idea for a television show. It's derivative with a twist. That's what they're looking for. Well, I hate to sound remedial, but uh, I haven't done this since I was in the Navy. Let's have a conversation. So, what does that mean? Let's pretend we know what 1963 looks like. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. We're gearing our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and our own personal Catholic guilt. With me, a Protestant, today, of course, he is currently trying to get some gum off his socks. So just give him a second. It's Will Ashton. Hey, Catholic guilt. I cannot wait. This is the one I've been waiting for. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I have so many questions. Um, sure. I mean, as a- <laughs> uh, you know, as a fairly lapsed uh, Catholic, I, I don't know how much I can fill you in on the no uh the no hall of a uh, catholic religion and roman catholicism but i will do my very best i my catholic understanding you know goes about as far as the movie doubt and uh you know saving uh sarah silverman wait what was it saving silverman that was it uh saving <laughs> about, silverman yeah that's the one the steve zahn movie yeah yeah where he like the his the girl next door becomes a nun okay it yeah. that is a movie I saw once, maybe on Comedy Central. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, have I to like, venture. I, you sounded like very skeptical of that reference. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I, the I whole pl- the plot of that character revolves around becoming a nun, but she falls in love with the guy. And like, okay, all right. I mean, that's a movie I saw probably over twenty years ago. Once, like really? I, said. I mean, I, thought, I watched. I, I'm sorry, I I didn't realize I'd offend you. <laughs> <laughs> By not keeping Sarah or saving Silverman uh, on the regular saving rotation. Yeah. Sorry, not Sarah. I Silverman. mean, I've I've only seen it twice. It's not like I'm like revisiting it. Sure. Uh, anyway, Michael Verholse unfortunately won't be here this week. He was served one too many cocktails by Sally Draper at work the other day. But we do miss him, and I'm sad because when when Mike talks about Mad Men, I just I always get the sense that I'm the only person in the room. Do you do you get that sense, Will Ashton? Yeah, I get that. I get that. Because I yeah, haven't like, watched this show before, and I'm on uh, the episodes I haven't seen yet, so this is all new to me. So you claim, you know, I'm waiting for you to be like, "Hey, you know, I misspoke earlier when I said that I hadn't seen this episode. I actually, you know, did my dissertation I mean, on it." And have I seen clips from this in the background there it at is. a party? There it is. Maybe yep. I don't remember anything from this episode. Other, I mean, vaguely, vaguely, I remember Colin Hanks. Okay. In in the show, Colin Hanks. Um, so this is, uh, season two, episode four, three Sundays. And this episode came out August 17th, 2008. It takes place in April, 1962 over three Sundays. Tim Hunter directs uh, regular Mad Men director and, uh, Andre Jacquemin and Maria Jacquemin and two regular writers of the show are here as well. Uh, last time they teamed up, um, as sole credited writers, uh, I mean, they did Nixon versus Kennedy with Lisa Albert, and uh, they did Long Weekend with Bridget Bedard and Matthew Weiner. However, the last time they did like a solo thing was Babylon, 
uh, which was episode six of the last season, which Babylon, uh, the F. Scott Fitzgerald thing gets uh, referenced in this episode. I like to think that that's like a little little thing they put in there on purpose, but it could just be a complete coincidence. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is I was telling you, Will, the episode of season two that I th- I think it's like the best episode. It's the only episode of this season that I really really like. It's not to say that season two is unenjoyable or that it's not good at all. It's just like this is the only episode where I'm like this this is like really top tier Mad Men uh, material. Now I'm ready to have my mind changed maybe because there mm. are episodes in this season like Jet Set and Mountain King that I do like. Okay, uh, that. I'm wondering if like uh, revisiting them, I'm going to like them a little bit more. Kind of curious how I'm going to deal with uh, Gold Violin, for example, because that's one I've gone back and forth on, actually. But uh, I know all this is probably gibberish to you because you're like, uh, let's stick to three Sundays. I, I, you know, I'm making my way downtown, faces pass, and I'm homebound. Sure. Home being season seven. I, don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm a little bit more partial to, um, is it called Flight 31, the second episode? Flight one. Sorry, Flight one. Um, I think that was a pretty tremendous episode, and I think that's one that has stuck with oh, me. I'm happy to hear that. But you're uh, you're not as keen on that one, I guess. Not quite, but I mean, I, it's again, it's not even a bad episode or anything. In fact, I think Flight One uh, would be my second favorite out of the the four we've gone through so far. I, Benefactor being a tough one for me, but uh, you know, certainly has its strengths. I, I was going to bring this up before we talk about the episode proper. Uh, I, I'm really I, I looked up the ratings for these episodes again i know we've kind of talked about this i think or we touched the on it imdb ratings you mean no the uh ratings of viewership oh uh, okay when, ratings rate like how many people yeah. watched okay exactly yeah so you know i was looking at like the peak of last season and we don't even have official ratings for every episode of last season but for the episodes we do the most popular episode like the the most highly uh, watched rated episode was babylon last season which shocking to me i would have guessed the wheel but the wheel was one of the lowest rated of last season uh, which i find fascinating like i want to dig into it a little bit more to see why that probably is uh it might have something to do i think with just the way that the the season probably was marketed and it kind of just like wound down a bit but nixon versus kennedy we don't even i don't even know what the rating is for that i imagine is well probably a little high but i don't know i I do kind of wonder because Kennedy versus Nixon is the one with the Mr. Campbell who cares, right? Yes. Do you think there were people who kind of tuned out when the mystery of, you know, like Maybe. Will Don, uh be found out be, uh, was, you know, th- thrown away? Do you think some people could have been, you know, taken out of the show because they were like invested in that being a crucial right. conflict? And they were just like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, like, what what's the investment now if that's not like kind of driving me episode by episode yeah do they think that it was the finale you know of like oh yeah. that's it that's a season maybe because uh, it does feel like a finale but you know and and so i was looking at the ratings for season two and funny enough uh for those who think young the season two premiere has this had the second highest reported ratings of the whole show up until that point so not quite as high as babylon but really close and then it dips quite a bit into flight one but still really high for the show and then it dips again for the benefactor and it dips again for three sundays and it's it's gonna not dip again though because the next episode is where it's gonna perk way back up so i think it's a fun thing to track you know to kind of go through memory lane because i i wasn't watching the show when it was coming out right like in 2008 so i don't remember like what things were even like with how the show was talked about like twitter was a thing but like you know there wasn't like a 
any sort of like TV Twitter at the time. Yeah. There wasn't really black Twitter yet. I don't think until like scandal, at oh, least okay. like as we know it today. Right. Yeah. I remember when Twitter was a thing. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, <we> boy. <laughs> Back in the day. But yeah, no, I, I, I don't know like how, uh, People talked about the show back then. But anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. I thought it was kind of interesting. But I guess, uh, yeah, yeah let's, talk, let's talk about this episode. Yeah, let's sure. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right. So as I kind of alluded before, this episode of Mad Men takes place over three Sundays. Um, and it has like a, a bunch of like little stories attached to it. The three main ones. Um, and I, I might be I, I want to make sure I got this. So uh, there's the Peggy story happening over three Sundays. Obviously pretty big. There's the Dawn story, which is pretty big. The third one, I think, I think you're supposed to assume it's Roger, right? Like that's that's the third one. I'm not missing anything. Yeah, I mean, because certainly there's small. I was gonna say there's certainly not a lot of Pete this time around. I mean, uh, there's a lot of Pete's uh, thighs, legs. Yeah, I was gonna say knees. you see a lot of Pete <laughs> uh, physically, but not what uh, will you do? <laughs> in, ter- in terms of uh, the character himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um, the, most of this episode is dedicated to Don and Peggy, and uh, which it, it's very interesting because it reminds me a lot of Marriage of Figaro, mm-hmm. kind of dipping into like a different kind of structure, uh, hanging out with the characters on the weekend. We don't even go into Sterling Cooper for quite a bit, but, yeah. you know, at first because it's it's kind of when it kicks off, you start to get the sense that oh, it's only going to be these three Sundays, but no, I mean we we break out to other days of the work week here and there. Um, it's actually kind of interesting how the show isn't that clean you know with it like it's not trying to be super precious about like well we can't show what happens on friday uh, it does but uh what did, what did you think of the structure did it, did it work for you uh, yeah in terms uh, of like you know i was gonna say i mean i feel like and maybe this will change as the season goes along because i'm watching it uh anew and fresh but um yeah i feel like the season in general has kind of primarily focused between dawn and uh peggy they've been kind of the the main characters throughout the season um and uh i mean the show (laughs) sure but i feel like more i mean because like with the first season i feel like peggy was certainly integral to the season and uh you know we we definitely got to see a lot of her uh upbringing in the office and her struggles um but i feel like it's been really uh, crystallized as far as like her trying to find the the work home balance and certainly mm-hmm. uh, with her Although we only got one scene of family. her last yeah so we only we only got one scene of her last episode yeah like yeah i guess that's true so maybe i am completely wrong um and but, we're due for more pete cuz we didn't get mm-hmm. any pete last week and this week it's like you know mm-hmm. we only got like you know it was only skin deep what we yeah. got pete but i feel like perhaps uh at this point more than most other characters in the show Peggy and Dawn are having clear identity crises and figuring out like how do they um, adapt to like a new generation? How do they adapt to new adulthood, especially when there are forces uh, that are kind of coming in that uh, prevent them from really having a clean break between their work and home life. In that case, Mm -hmm. certainly with Peggy, it's like she has, you know, mothered a child mostly unknowingly, uh, with Pete, a coworker, and you know it's not something that she can just kind of shoo away. It, it, the child is still in her life, albeit through uh, her mother and her older sister. And you know she's you know not distant enough to where you know she is abandoned the child completely, but she doesn't really want to be 
a mother in the child's life. I mean, she kind of wants to, you know, kind of throw those responsibilities on to uh, her her family. But, you know, it's just so, if, if not even physically, psychologically, that has been taking quite a toll on her. And certainly it seems her Catholicism, you know, kind of weighs that heavily. I mean, certainly guilt and sin play heavily into any Catholic's uh, mindset, even a lapsed one like myself. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I find that stuff incredibly fascinating uh, and something I, I really have enjoyed this season, this episode in particular. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that goes from this point forward. You, you've touched on, I think, something that is a big rubric for me when determining like a really great Mad Men episode versus a solid one. And when we're talking about good Mad Men episodes, I mean, we're talking about episodes of a show that are consistently much better than most shows out there. So, you know, the curve is certainly out of whack. But the thing, and I, I know I've mentioned this a couple times on on this podcast before, but the thing that I always look for in a great Mad Men episode is how the writing is going to fixate on one central theme, something that's like really focused, like maybe kind of like what Peggy says about the sermon. It's like, make it so that we understand, you know, it's uh, not in Latin. It's, it's kind of a simple concept, but then yeah. it's able to layer that concept in through all of the characters it pays close attention to while also introducing extra things into it that all coalesce. It all feels like it belongs together. Like you said, like identity crisis, you can take identity crisis and you can say that there's also like a crisis of faith. You can kind of like create a whole web of how all this stuff is weighing on not just Peggy, but how that relates to Don. My favorite Mad Men writing is when you can see that something happening to Don and then you can use that as context for what's happening to Peggy without seeing it happen to Peggy. That to me is like what makes the show uniquely brilliant because not a lot of shows, I don't think, do it as well uh, when they even attempt it. Uh, and it's funny because the show, you know, the show, you're not, you're not going to believe, you're going to think I'm a ridiculous person, but you know, the show that actually kind of does this decently and is kind of, uh, I think, one of the secrets behind why it was successful, even though it's a completely different show than this. You ready? You know what it is? Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> close close oh. thomas ain't too much murder in that show Dead details? Uh, unfortunately for me too violent scrubs oh scrubs okay Scrub, sure. scrubs is a, another example of a show that was able to do this pretty well uh well not perfectly but sure able to another, take um all the yeah. uh workplace uh series yeah so, so yeah well that that's the beauty of workplace shows isn't it because like that's how we relate to our coworkers by sort of um how we're able to relate with each other in the workplace it, it's such a great functionary place to like actually see characters thrive and face and deal with conflict and yeah so anyway th there's one central theme that i think really sticks out here and i'm curious because you kind of mentioned before that you what stuck out to you was sort of like peggy uh being able to or being unable to sort of uh if you could, i want to make sure I, I got you right here but you were saying something kind of along the lines of her being able to grapple with like the new changes well yeah like i mean there's certainly in this episode the it seems to be focusing a lot on characters who are sort of in that generational and cultural divide, like characters who, mm -hmm. you know, in this case, like Don is someone who throughout this episode, he is kind of torn between like fathering his child, but not repeating the sins of his father. Uh, and that's certainly something that I think a lot of people um, can, you know, relate to hopefully not in an abuse sense, like that Don is dealing with here, but in the sense that like, yeah, he, he is someone who has an undeniably weighted conscience uh, and someone who is trying to form his new identity, someone who has been burdened by his own sins of the past and someone who's trying to kind of start anew, but is all undeniably carrying uh, the sins of his past. But, you know, See, there it is. Yeah, yeah. You, 
You hit it. Yeah. It's uh, so the sins of the past, the resurrection, right. Tying into the religious themes of the episode, but also this is an episode about Don and Peggy not being able to deal with the past and how they're similar in that respect. Right. So one, one thing that I think is great about this episode too, is it ties back to season one a lot. It makes me think a lot of like the American airlines pitch and the direction that he goes in with that pitch. It's like, he has that whole thing where he comes out to the bullpen and is kind of like American airlines, right? It's like, it's not about like that happened to somebody else. It's not about the bomb. It's not about, he's trying to ignore the past and reinvent American airlines as a new thing that is just like, forget, forget what happened before. That's what he does with his persona. That is the entire thesis of Don Draper as a human being. Forget about the past. Past didn't happen. You know, it'll amaze you how this didn't happen. And that is just like what he did with Lucky Strike in the first season. And it worked, that pitch. So it's amazing that uh, in this in this sense, the pitch doesn't even get to happen because it's showing the reality of how that doesn't always work out, right? And so I, I love it because the Lucky Strike thing, remember, he's like, it's toasted. He's like, oh, don't even talk. Just change the conversation. Don't even talk about like what's going on and like what you know is <laughs> the, the problem is. Don't confront the problem. It's kind of his parenting style too with Bobby. He's just yep. kind of, yeah, he's treating it. Uh, he's just kind of trying to ignore it and like sure. hope that it goes away. Um, but yeah, I mean, even diving deeper into that, I think it's like, well, you mentioned yeah, it's like the three characters here, the three Sundays, as it were, are, um, you know, we have Peggy, who is the new upstart, a woman who is just trying to start her life, um, trying to forge her own path in this workplace, you know, kind of progress in a way that women traditionally in the that workplace have not been able to excel but she is kind of uh caught between the expectations of her gender and her family and also the fact that she is a mother i'll bet a reluctant one um and you know kind of forging that you know uh you know she she isn't really someone who i take as being particularly religious but like i said she has you know that inherent catholic guilt and she wants to be there for her family and and subsequently her son uh, and then you have Don, who is, you know, uh, struggling with his own. He's not quite middle age yet, but I mean, he he is definitely feeling the weight of age at this point. Like someone who is uh, he's older than his father was when his older father than his died. father was. Yeah, certainly. Um, and you know, someone who uh, is having sort of a, a Christ of faith of his own, as far as like what he stands for and who he believes. And in like what he values at this point and uh, and also like where he stands with his relationship with his wife and kids. And then you have Roger, who is, uh, you know, certainly much more set in his ways in a traditional sense. Like he's, you know, established in the workplace. He has, you know, wife and kids of his own. We see them at the beginning. Uh, and he certainly seems to be very reluctant to uh, his daughter's. Um, is it fiance or husband? I forget exactly. Um, fiance. Fiance. OK, so Brooks. clearly not really interested in, in developing a deep and lasting relationship with him. And he is kind of bucking that tradition by uh, having this new mistress or uh, um, a sex worker. Uh, well, who, yeah. if we, yeah, I was going to mention, cause I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because like you just said, you have Don and Peggy who are sort of trying to reinvent themselves for the future and ignore the past and, and sort of move on from that and not feel guilty about things that happened to them. But then you have Roger who's obsessed with the past throughout this episode he, you know, the pitch that he get that he, or after the pitch that doesn't get to really happen that we don't really see, he talks about how, you know, he wants to feel young again. That's been his character this whole time. It's about the thrill of the chase, right? Right. Well, he also so just he, uh, doesn't know if he has much of a future because of his health too. Like he doesn't know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's chasing, he will, he's chasing the past by chasing something new. 
right? He is trying to recapture the past through the new. So it's not even that he has like a different philosophy from Don and Peggy. It's more of like how it, it's, it's this, it, it's so funny because it's the, it's the line of thinking that where he's had the most conflict with Don, when we look at the pitches and we look at them dropping Mohawk for American airlines, why Don was so against that because Don is somebody who is just more, I think superficially loyal to Don. He wouldn't leave Betty for somebody new. He doesn't think right. He would stay with Betty, stay with Mohawk because it's a reliable, sure thing, but he would try to have his cake and eat it too by like, finding other ways like that's a different part of my identity that has the affairs whereas roger is just too he weirdly enough roger has too much integrity for that for roger it's about the thrill of the chase and he is willing to leave you know the safe sure thing right because he wants things to be like they were when he was younger and he could just sort of like you know seduce you know yeah. like a new client or go for it even if it fails well, and he's such a privileged person he has so much money he can afford the risk of it i mean literally uh she is seducing a client with him because it's a business transaction, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's also <laughs> an element of that. I find, uh, quite fitting and quite interesting. Is that, and by the way, I, I wrote this down because I was like, I, it, I've always wondered why Ken was being paid more, uh, like oh, we yeah. saw in the benefactor. Mm -hmm. And again, it's so nice to just kind of take a little bit of break between episodes. Do you think it's the escort thing? Do you think like the fact that he has so many like connections to the escort industry, like he's able, he says here like, Oh, I have a lot of numbers, you know? And, I wonder if yeah. that has something to do with his perceived See, value. To you're company. saying like he might be aware of the dirty work that kind of goes into the client, the stuff that's kind of off the books that needs to get taken care mm -hmm. of. That's not going to be advertised. No pun intended uh, with, yeah. you know, business transactions. It's possible. Yeah. Because I mean, that was the thing that Sal said to Harry Crane. It's like, what do you bring to the company that like other people can't like, what's the value, you know? And I can see with Ken, that's, the main thing that we see as a skill set relevant to Sterling Cooper, because the only other skill set he shows is like being a writer, you know, on his uh, off time, which doesn't really affect anything at Sterling Coop. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's my uh, pet theory for now. It's possible in the sense, certainly, that of the uh, employees, with the exception of Sal, who I think is uh, um, a, a doll, uh, I, I think Ken is much more personable. Uh, and, and able to kind of swoon clients in a way that I feel like the other uh, employees are just person. Yeah, he's a people person in a way that, you know, certainly Pete tries to be a people person. I don't think he's quite the suave man that he wants to be. And certainly uh, sometimes not the man he thinks he is. But and, and you know, obviously, the other employees are, you know, kind of uh, not quite uh, socially adept, as it were. So it's it's mm -hmm. possible. It's something I didn't think about. It's an interesting point, though. I related so much to the Sunday where they all have to come into work and they spend the whole day there obsessing oh over something. You've been uh, you've been through that kind of thing. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, I I texted you. I said incredible fits, and you uh, <laughs> fittingly showing your age was like, "What's a fit?" And it's like, "Oh, John, the generation." Well, the I mean, we're not that far <laughs> in age, uh, but I felt like that was a moment where you know you you seem like a dinosaur and i'm a young buck like john let me tell you about the ways of the kids these days it's fit means outfit it's you know clothes it's a, a nice fit got some credible fits in this episode and uh yeah i how love can, that how can they be based <laughs> what yeah how can they be? it's a base john, don't embarrass yourself base? right now no <laughs> yeah i uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's in terms of their outfits, uh, that's just a fun. Uh, that was like a little treat for us, right? Uh, yeah, everybody, I mean, seeing everybody's weekend attire and yeah, yeah. 
very fun reveal with a uh, you know obviously Pete sitting down in the conference room gets up and then obviously it was first honestly for a moment I thought he wasn't wearing pants <laughs> so <laughs> and then obviously he's wearing like the old fashioned short shorts. Doc, have but, you seen my pants? <laughs> yeah, honey, oh, where's man. my pants? Uh, <laughs> there's a bit more duck in this episode uh not like that but uh oh. certainly we get to see a little bit more how, how he operates right like mm. he was a little bit more like working the room a bit kind of uh you know working people to his favor certainly that little conniving side of his was a bit more on display mm-hmm. um, particularly with how he's just sort of like oh thanks for getting cooper out of the room like that very very telling moment for his character if you if you think yeah but uh yeah. What do you think was uh, what, yeah. what do you think was running through his mind when uh, Don abruptly hung up the phone on him when uh, Bobby burnt himself? He was just like, "Oh, like do you think he was like offended?" He's like, "Oh, like he's going to work so much faster than I anticipated." <laughs> no, I doubt that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it was probably more of just like ah, that son of a bitch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean Bobby Draper. Bobby Draper. He's he, he's having a tough time this episode. Uh, the season. I mean, you know. Out. I mean, yeah, because uh, we didn't really talk about. It. I mean, we we touched on it, but last week, uh, Betty was none too pleased with Bobby because he uh, he had that um, George Washington portrait that was allegedly traced. Um, mm-hmm. We never actually found out for sure if that was actually traced or if that was just Betty assuming That's how life such, is, isn't it? But, it's like, how do you know? But clearly, you know, uh, Betty and Bobby are not on the best of terms at the moment. And that's it's tough for Betty because she sees so much of Don... And in Bobby's behavior, you know, the lying, the causing trouble. Yes. And then Don also sees himself in Bobby and is, you know, certainly like you can just see that the affection he has for Bobby is so clear, especially in the way that it differs from his affection for no. Sally. Like he ignores Sally yeah. left and right. I was going to say, do you think Don sees Betty and Sally? Probably. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, particularly in how he doesn't want her, Sally in his office. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like send her that, to Francine's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, some, being like some, Betty's close friend, yeah, uh, adorable moments with Sally in the office. Uh, I, I love the uh, um, you have what, what did she say to Joan? Like, you've got big ones, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have big ones too when I get I hope it. I have big ones. When I'm old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a I think I, I think I texted you while you were watching. I was like, get ready for some premium Sally Draper content. Yeah, I didn't quite understand what that meant at the time. Uh, but yeah, that, that was certain. There's yeah, certainly some precocious. fun. Yeah, she's precocious as all hell in this episode. Yeah, gets, uh, and she, you know what? Yeah, she gets drunk. Has a great time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not a shining moment for uh, the parenting of Dawn and Betty, though. I say or, that. Yeah, or the but, babysitting of Joan. <laughs> yeah, babysitting. Um, but yeah, what? I mean, at the same time, uh, you know, Bobby actually gets a nice heart to heart. Uh, with uh, Dawn for the first time since that weird bed interlude. Well, not that- just Bobby Draper, but Bobby Barrett too. Yeah, um, you know uh, that still weirds me out. They have the same name. Yeah, <laughs> something weird um, about that. But that that's but yeah, true. For, they do. Yeah, they do have a heart the, to heart. Yeah, for the first time since discussing fireflies or whatever it was in season one, they actually get to talk a little bit, father to son, man to man, man well, to yeah, boy. I like I I like to think of this episode as a uh, kind of a sequel to Hobo Code. Um, because it certainly calls upon that episode a lot, uh, particularly the way that he has that conversation with Bobby and uh, Bobby Draper, to be clear, and how he tells him, he's like, I'll never lie, like, ask me any question. And we sort of see that paying off here where 
he asked his dad a ton of questions and like Don is clearly not like in the right headspace to like deal mm. with his son because like he won't even deal with his son when he's in a good mood. <laughs> but, but uh he, he seems about that. I was gonna say he seems appreciative though. Like he he kind of likes that someone's actually asking about his father and like in that he's like actually kind of earnestly well, like searching for like what was my dad's favorite food it was like ham and those little candies with the beautiful purple and yellow wrapping or whatever he says yeah he surprises himself because yeah. it's not something that he thinks he wants to talk about but I, I think that's why the bow on his part of the episode ends the way it does with betty's you know kind of like almost kind of motherly like embracing him and him yeah. sort of seeing maybe for the first time in a while that when he's honest about his past and he shares that with her, that provides, I think, the intimacy he does. He doesn't even know that he wants. Mm-hmm. I think he just views the relationship he has with Betty as just so functional, as so robotic and sterile. Like it just needs to be like it is at the beginning of the episode, where they're sitting around drinking cocktails and you know but, morning sex and stuff like that, instead of like the real stuff that happens in the very end. I don't know, but you say that, but I feel like the their first scene together is one of the more genuinely romantic scenes with Betty and Dawn. Like they're like, it's just, I don't find, I mean, I find it romantic in a whimsical way, but it's, it's surface level, isn't it? It's more about uh, like chemicals and like, you know, both of them being turned on and horny. It's not about like the real intimacy, like where the, he's getting like an emotional, like satisfaction from that relationship uh, and vice versa. I don't because know, the whole time, the whole episode, yeah. she's so frustrated with him because he just won't communicate with her. And she's trying to air her grievances to him and he just won't acknowledge it. But when he finally talks to her about it, it's like, this is why I am the way I am with Bobby. And he has a reason for it. But that is when she finally sort of connects with him and starts to understand that. That's why I think that that is way more like that's real intimacy to me. I mean, the bookends of it certainly, I think, have the romanticism. But I guess for me, like coming into it, like the last episode, we have that moment with them in the car. Betty's crying. They actually have a mm-hmm. genuine heart-to-heart that's uh, reminiscent of the scene from season one where they're in the car together, kind of having like a swooning romantic moment uh, in their car. And then I'm assuming this is like the day after, right, from that uh, you know meeting with um, – mm. uh, or is it the day – I don't know. They, they said they were drunk. No, I don't so think I, it's – Okay, maybe I it's don't think then. it's the day okay. after. Well, it's a Sunday, so and they they had the dinner oh, right. for Lutash on a Monday. Okay, so yeah, it's yeah, been at right. least a week. Yeah, I do we, do like get the, the, we do get the sense though that they are hungover from something that they did right. the night before. Um, Eight night. Yeah, maybe he finally took her to Lutash, which is the hottest spot in yeah. all of Manhattan. But it does seem like at the beginning that they are kind of more uh, lovey-dovey than they have been throughout most of the series thus far. Yeah, and even but I think to a point, point where that only gets you so far, I guess. But I feel like the fact that they're like pushing against doing like that, like if I feel like it was more robotic, they would have just gone with the uh, what was it they were going to do with Francine, like the the cookout or something, the like barbecue, barbecue. Um, like I feel like that would have been more robotic for him, like we saw in the third episode, of Marriage Figaro, where he's just kind of like you know going through the motions and eventually leaving the party. The fact that he actually wants mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. have sex with his wife, like yeah, I'm really not saying that's into- robotic. Okay, I'm saying the robotic part is when they're in like the den listening to the music. Well, and I it's know, all but propped I, up. But I mean, like, I, I just, I'm talking only that opening scene. Like, eventually, as as it goes along, but they still there's feel like there's still like that kind of. I, I I guess where I disagree is I think there is some bleeding over of that romanticism in that moment where they're like they're dancing a little bit and they're having drinks and Sally's the, being a cute little bartender and they're kind of they they can't believe the hours are going by and they're actually kind of 
you know, and in that moment before the bed breaks, they're actually like a, a, a unit, they're a family, and they're all kind of together in a way that we haven't seen before. And then obviously, See, that's it. That's the point. That's the point. As soon as oh, sure, conflict yeah, comes yeah. in, it all breaks. Like the that's facade what I mean. Yeah, breaks. yeah. So I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think we're saying the same thing, just uh, in a different way. You know, we're just but, being needlessly antagonistic. Yeah. What else is there, right? Um, well, also too, like, I think you do see some of the seeds of the conflict, even in the facade, like the whole thing where it just seems like Don is like almost resenting Betty for being nostalgic about like a Bing Crosby song that came out when she was in high school. Right. And how he's just sort of like, oh, you know, like he doesn't want to dance. He doesn't, he does again, he doesn't want to like glide around in the past. He just wants to sort of relish in, you know, the thing that's like move them forward. But his issue is that he doesn't understand that confronting the past is helpful. It's, it's good. It's a, it's like having a meditation and in a, uh, what's the word emergency. Um, also, I did want to bring up when they're in the den uh, reading the book she's reading is uh, like I mentioned before, Babylon, Babylon uh, revisited the short story thing revisited. And it's like yes. a, a Scott Fitzgerald thing. And again, it's, it's smart to do these things week to week because I probably I've never caught before that F. Scott Fitzgerald also wrote the novella A Diamond in the Wrist, which Arthur Case referenced in the last episode. So you're kind of seeing a possibly coincidental, but I doubt it, sort of a reference to not just Babylon from the first season, but uh, also in the last episode, Betty uh, maybe taking a little bit more to heart what Arthur was saying to her, and uh, yeah, maybe that little bit more of a complication there so because yeah. uh yeah he arthur was the one who brought up the diamond in the ritz also i mean f scott fitzgerald had a famously hot and cool relationship with his wife zelda fitzgerald yeah i remember we were both there and Jerry, yeah. uh i certainly uh, yeah in our uh midnight in paris <laughs> moment where we went back in time and shared a few drinks with zelda and f scott speaking speaking of uh hot and cold relationships peggy and father gill mm-mm-mm Will they, won't they, could they, should they? Yeah, as we, uh, I think, uh, both agreed, uh, it is the the OG hot priest scenario. Though I feel weird saying right. that about Colin Hanks. Like, nothing against him. Like, you know, I, I think he's a charming man, but I feel like there's something always sort of boyish about him in a way that, like, I, I always I, think of him as just like, I yeah, is Tom that. Hanks' son. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, don't, it's like, I don't think it's boyish to me. I, I see him as sort of the, you know, the older responsible son and the prodigal son parable. You know, to which I think is a clear thing, a clear connection to Anita. Um, is this me reading too much into it that like a famous son is playing this part? No, I think that is a hundred percent because he was. I think he originally, uh, if I'm remembering right, I think he auditioned for Arthur uh, originally, and I think they cast him as this. And I think there was that sort of intention of feeling like, yeah, you know, this is a role that really suits his strengths, and I think does kind of tie in thematically. You know, he's a little bit of a Jesus. But, you know, and, and you also see, like, hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. There's the whole thing where, you know, he takes a certain interest in a bit of a Mary Magdalene, a little, a little Pe- Peggy Olsalin. Trying to rhyme that? Sure. But no, um, clearly there... Okay, so I, I want to I hear it from you. The sexual tension. Okay. Do you think it's really there? Do you think it's something that the audience is putting in? Do you think there's an actual like attraction, like a, a sexual attraction between these two characters, one way or the other? Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I feel like, and not the tie us into cinemaholics, but we recently discussed uh, decision. Yeah, to that's leave. a lot of sexual tension to get into. Right? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> no, but we recently discussed decision to leave, um, and that's a film where I feel like 
I've had discussions with people about how romantic that movie is. And I feel like that is mm-hmm. an incredibly romantic film, but mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. don't look at it that way. Cause there's not, there's very few moments of like genuine, like physicality between them. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not like an erotic movie, but I think it's a very romantic film. And I yeah, feel like yeah. there's something it's not sort deep of water. It's not, it's not the opening scene of this episode with Don and Betty. Right sure. Here. Yeah. But I mean, there is something, it's very fairly, Tacious. It is a. I, I certainly feel like there there's a romanticism, not in the same way as with Fleabag, with um, with Fleabag and the Hot Priest, where that eventually gets a little bit more hot and heavy. But there is something, you know, like spoilers. It, sure, I guess I, it, that show's been out for a little bit. You know what? Who, who's out, who hasn't watched <laughs> season two of Fleabag? What are you doing with your life? Watch that. What's that show? It's a very well, good show. I mean, Great show. I haven't watched Succession. I can't judge. Sure. Yeah, we were talking uh, prior to recording that. Uh, I feel like John is a lot hipper to the uh tv scene like right now i am finally catching up on white lotus and people are like oh yeah like how you feel about the season i'm like i don't know i'm watching season one it's great but like i don't know how <laughs> i don't I, I catch up on shows very late <laughs> on these things but uh as it made evident by the fact that i'm doing the Mad Men right now watching it for the first time for the most part um but in any case you uh, take your time that's all right sure uh definitely really enjoy white lotus by the way um uh, Although I, you say that, and like we only both just watched The Sopranos for the first time this year. Again, so. another example. Yeah, and I'm watching Twin Peaks yeah. right now, another show I haven't seen before until now. Uh, I am very behind on TV, and I try to catch up when I can, but they're big commitments. But in any case, uh, yeah, I forget where I was leading off with that. But um, yeah, with as far as the uh, sexuality or the romantic sem- sexual chemistry between the priest and uh, and Peggy... I feel like it is a very romantic. I don't. I don't see it quite as sexually. I guess as you do. I mean, I think there is the temptation. Certainly, I think there is the the inherent sort of like will they, won't they conflict there. But I see it more as very romantic. I see it as something as just like almost doomed to fail for a variety of reasons. But there is something that is, uh, you know, kind of romantic and swooning and uh, understated about their uh, meeting of the minds. Their their sort of. Uh, muted uh attraction to one another that um yeah i guess i don't see it as very sexual obviously but i see it as very romantic but that's the thing things can be sexual without being explicit and so that underlying sexual tension can certainly be like a spark and a chemistry and you kind of see it the way that you know father gill doesn't judge or look down on her for her madison avenue talents but instead finds them interesting and asks for her help and humbles himself before Peggy in a way that I think charms her Yeah, because you know, that's not something. mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I was gonna say, I mean, uh, if I doubt protest not too much, um, I feel like, you know, you know, him as a priest is an ad man himself for the Lord. Like he is advertising God. He is his own little pitch meetings, you know, you know, selling the virtues and Mm. values of Christ. And I think he sees in Peggy a kind of similarity. You think that's too broad a reach? It's it's not a reach necessarily. Like it's certainly a thematic parallel, but I, I find it hard to really go that far into it because I think that the, there is a sort of commitment or deference that he has to religion that is starkly different from what advertising represents to these characters. But it, I think it is okay to say that there are echoes and parallels well, that's of similarities. I mean. mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm talking about the parallels not, because like... yeah. Uh, I feel like, I mean, this episode is really stressing upon like how I think Peggy's unable to fully branch off the work and home life. I think there's something that she either 
knowingly or unknowingly cannot really connect with her family. And that's certainly uh, a grave issue for her sister. Well, what's tough for her is that she can't, she can't get a clean break from her family. She relies on them to take care of her child. Right. And obviously there's a ton of guilt around that for a variety of yeah. reasons. Especially so, Catholic. Exactly. And, but I mean, the fact that she has to go to church, like she's doing it because she's kind of in the it's tank for them at this moment. Yeah. yeah it's, it's obligation. obligation. It's heavy. Right. Yeah. And so I think that to me, so they originally did uh, plan to have like a, an actual out and out relationship between these two characters, kind of similar to Fleabag. However, they originally moved away from it. And I think if, I think what the ultimate reasoning behind the decision was that it was just more realistic. Um, and it was something that was a little bit more true to life to how these things play out. Um, now, I know I'm kind of giving away something, but I, I don't think that you're going to be surprised to hear that there's not like a relationship between these two characters later in the season. Um, I won't even well, confirm either way if he shows yeah. up again. I but, mean, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say that would be a shock having seen the end of the episode. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's why I giving, feel okay about it. But yeah, giving an mm -hmm. egg, you know, just like Peggy, an egg child, you know, you, you uh, get my drift. Well, you know, the, also the idea of like a rebirth, sure, uh, being born again. Uh, yeah. That second chance. And, you know, I, there's a lot about their dynamic that is so interesting to me, particularly with how Anita sort of sees what's happening. And so Anita being the younger sister and seeing that like Peggy is being sort of catered to and rewarded, similar to how the secretaries are looking down on Peggy in the workplace because she's getting all this stuff that they don't get. And with her sister, it's a little bit more sympathetic because her sister sees herself as like a good Catholic and like she's followed the rules, but everyone seems to like dote on Peggy. And it's a very, it's a tale as old as the New Testament, but uh, it goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, doesn't it? Uh, so Old, old Testament too. But I think what's interesting about what the way the, the show frames this is Anita, and, and I'm curious if you take this the same way. Some people might watch this episode and they see Anita's confession to Father Gill and just think that she's being genuine, that she's like genuinely upset about this and she's confessing it to get it off her chest and to be contrite. I see it as purposeful sabotage. I see it as like she's telling Father Gill this because she sees what's happening, um, either either like nervous about like some kind of like relationship forming or the fact that she wants to hurt Peggy. Like she wants to actually do something bad to like make Peggy, you know, learn a lesson. You know what I mean? Like, I think she's actually being malicious and doing this on purpose. And the tears that she's showing, she's shedding in confession are her guilt because she knows it's wrong. And like, especially when he even mentions like, you're stronger than she is. I think she knows in that moment she's not because she is so weak that she is going to hurt her little sister who, you know, I think. I think she does struggle to admit that she loves her sister in that moment, but she's doing what she's doing because she wants Father Gill to know, you know, basically in her eyes that Peggy's a piece of shit. Uh, what do you think? Is that way off? Am, am no, I, I think that's, I'm not the uh, Catholic, so I don't well, know if that's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's exactly correct as far as my uh, reading and understanding of that scene. Um, yeah, because I think it's, it is fairly twofold. I think going into the confession booth i think she had uh fairly uh malicious intent uh you know kind of waiting her own um sins to uh her sister and kind of like trying knowingly you know uh imparting this uh information onto the priest but yeah those tears that fall i think are genuine sort of uh catholic and uh, emotional guilt that you know she kind of realizes what she's done in the moment you know i don't think she regrets it necessarily but i think she is uh you know 
someone who, uh, you know, is kind of torn between wanting the best for her sister, but also wanting the best for herself and feeling some sort of tinge and jealousy. She wants uh, to take Peggy down a peg. Yeah, there you go. You did it. Congratulations. I would have killed that pitch to American Airlines. Oh, man, I, I feel so bad about uh, the American Airlines thing. Oh, yeah, but real quick, though, I do think. Um, uh, I mean, the I love it. Yeah, sorry, good. So the way that Peggy relates to Father Gil, too, I think, is like how she relates to God and sort of like thinking that she can avoid the issue. Like she can like sort of uh, pursue a sort of connection with him, even outside of the sexual stuff, but like way more along the lines of like a religious sort of uh, connection that is like removed from the sins of her past, which obviously doesn't really work for religion in that context. But uh, I do think that she also sees Father Gill as like God and there's like a little bit of a, some, there's something there, I think. That's all I was going to say. I think that is very true. Sorry, you were going to say something. I assume oh. it has something to do with how much you like Grin and Barrett as a concept. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I actually kind of forgot about that scene, to be honest. Uh, it's it's one of the weakest, I think, it, probably the weakest in the whole episode. I don't think it's it particularly notable. It just feels very kind of disposable in the scheme of things. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. I think there's so like much. She's still in the show, folks. Yeah. You know, it, it feels, it feels, you know a little obligatory, much like Peggy going to mass. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say uh, that boardroom scene where they're getting ready for the, um, the, like the last the, supper. Yeah. 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 No, I, I love how meticulously they're framed and that, you know, like they're all kind of portraitly and the, you know, it's, it's very like everything is so carefully choreographed with their, their different poses mm-hmm. and their outfits. Uh, yeah. And then, just uh you know as soon as um it's revealed by duck that you know they're Shell basically been as yeah that they're uh delivering as dawn notes a stillborn baby uh, i love that like they're still kind of orderly but right they're... in front of peggy <laughs> oh yeah, yeah sorry uh well i mean he doesn't know about that uh, <laughs> um but I was going to say, I mean, like, they're still kind of organized, but the, you can see the, the ruffling, like, Don's, like, messing with his cuffs, and, you know, everyone's kind of, like, you know, they're, they're no longer, like, a unit now that everyone's just kind of unfurled, and they're just kind of, you know, like, oh, we don't have to really, you know, knock it out of the park anymore. We're just kind of doing this out of obligation. Mm-hmm. As a courtesy, you know, it, it really is, oh, that's tough. I, 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 having to do have something you, that you have to do, even mm-hmm. though you know it's not going to work, and all that effort, oh, there's a lot of emotions there. I was going to say, have you been in a similar scenario work-wise as this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, pitching work that once. you know is not going to, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you work that you've spent a lot of time on. Um, definitely not, in a, not definitely not in this exact same thing where it was like, oh, you know, at the expense of something that was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a client or anything like that. I haven't dealt with that before, but because yeah. I've only uh, done in-house work. Yeah, I, I love this little moment with Sal where he like is so fresh off the presses with that portrait that he's still wafting it, like making sure it's all, you know, it, it adds to the, the the sadness of how, you know, uh, meaningless this uh, pitch will eventually be. But just mm-hmm. Sal, he's just a hard worker, man. He doesn't get enough credit in that office, I think. I I stick up for my man, Sal. He's doing good work. He sticks doesn't up get for himself in this episode. Yeah, a little bit. You know, when Don, when Don is just like, we're gonna we're gonna do this and this like he he basically scraps everything he's just like sal is the only one he's like what does that mean right (laughs) i love it (laughs) yeah 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 uh yeah it's good stuff great episode of the show i I really dig it i I just just the way that like all the religious themes tie in and it, it just yes there is a hair out of place with the bobby barrett thing and 
you know, it, it does very little, I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe a listener will, will write, write us on that, you know, and be like, Hey, actually, no, here's what, here's where it actually does fit in. The fact that Don doesn't go to church. I don't know. Be yeah. something random. You see, it's his troubled relationship with Bobby. Uh, the, uh, Bobby, Bobby, you know, that's a weird newsy in 1920s yeah. New York. Like, I don't know. That's, that's just a weird, I don't know. I don't think that's deliberate. I think that, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know the mind of Matthew Weiner. I don't know either. Um, but that's the episode. I think we really covered. I mean, we didn't cover all the Sally stuff. Uh, the way she claps at Don that she gets to go to the office with him. I love and, uh, uh, when she puts the hat on with Paul. At, yeah, when yeah. when Don comes home from work and Sally just puts a little hat shave. on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, her conversation with Paul is so awkward. <laughs> it's like, that was cute, is that but... your maid? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was yeah, that part was pretty awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like that Paul is. Like, uh, Do you lay on top of her? <laughs> yeah, that that yeah. No, you are correct. That is a pretty awkward exchange. I gotta say, I haven't had a chance to say this. I'm really digging the beard for Paul. I think it's it's a good addition to his face he's the opposite of ben shapiro in that respect at least sure uh, or knows uh, how to do a, a yeah. beard uh yeah. yeah or any really most right wing people when they try to grow beards traditionally i feel it doesn't really work out but me you know making what? a broad generalization there but <laughs> yeah i won't get i won't get into that but uh, i certainly think that it's working for paul he should keep it he should keep yeah. it but does, wait does shapiro still have that beard i thought he got rid of that he shaved it yeah he wised say. up he was like you sure. know what for once he wised me. up um that's about all i got though um i mean it's a devastating blow to don you know to not to lose mohawk and to lose american roger doesn't seem perturbed by it because again to him the stakes aren't as high uh things between don and duck are obviously going to still be pretty heated because like you know don doesn't say it to his face but he's just like you're supposed to bring in new business not lose old business you know it's clearly clearly uh some lingering tension between those two characters is going to move forward and um yeah i mean the thing with roger too i I think it's pretty cut and dry with his affair uh you know with uh what was her i forget her name but uh the uh the mistress was it vicky vicky okay i think yeah uh, well that's um what's her katie from uh wet hot american summer wet hot american summer life as you know it uh a few other things life Um, as you know it is that the uh katherine heigl movie no, there was this, there was a show called Life as We Know It before okay. the movie Life as We Know It. Totally okay. different and unrelated, but she was like a teacher. I was like, man, you are behind on TV. Um, she was like a teacher having an affair with a student, you know. Oh, like a Kate teacher? Mara. Yeah, it was before a teacher came out. Yeah. Actually, oh man, um, yeah, people teachers have been doing this for a while, and they must be stopped. <laughs> Eesh, yeah, Gross. maybe that's maybe that's what we'll do after Mad Men. Men, uh, what a teacher the show. Man. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I thought you were going much darker than that. I was like, John, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> trying to throw, try to slander me left and right. Okay. No, well, that'll just, do it. I think. Uh, for this no, we, we are going to end on that note. Come on. That's, that is a highly inappropriate. <laughs> oh yeah. We do have trivia. Yeah. I was going to say and and about trivia. Okay. I'll okay. have too much Catholic guilt of my own. If we ended on, uh, on that <laughs> note, we'll do some trivia for the little ones. Um, all right. Uh, so here's something. Both John Hamm and John Slattery, so Don Draper and Roger Sterling, they both the had colds. The Johns. They, but uh, John Hamm has no H because he's, uh, like me, right. uh, a John with class. Yeah, I always uh, try to stick up for you when people misspell your name. I'm like, that's John without an H, you jerk. You bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they both had uh, colds during the shooting of this episode. You can kind of tell, actually. Um, so in the season Don's two... So 
Yeah, I know, right? Uh, in the commentary track for season two, Matthew Weiner said that it actually kind of helped in the episode because there's more of a vulnerability to both of them that you can kind of pick up on because they're literally sick. Now, I obviously, yes. Uh, yes. I was going to mention that because we didn't really talk about it last week, but mm-hmm. Don mm-hmm. does probably one of the most despicable things he's done, which is potentially oh, sexually right. assault to uh, Bobby. Like he, he fingers her. And in this her episode, he pushes Betty. After she pushes him. Oh, that too. But I was going to say, I just found it so surprising that, like, Don's, you know, at one of his worst uh, towards the end of last week's episode. And this one, I find it kind of fascinating. They make him a lot more vulnerable. Like, they talk about his history of abuse. They see him as more childlike. I don't know. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, the the complexity of the show, I I do really appreciate that. Yeah. They're willing to, like, you know, be hot and cold, you know, as far as, like, making him detestable in one moment, you know, sympathetic in the next. So, you know. They're human beings. Sure, you know? exactly. It, it's just not that kind of show where things are black and white. But uh, more trivia, more trivia. Okay, so Colin Hanks. Uh, so he was a huge fan of the show before being cast in the role. And it says here that he read an article in the New York Times about a show made by one of the people writing The Sopranos, and he thought the idea was interesting. And uh, that's when he called he called his agent and fought to get a meeting with Matthew Weiner, eventually said yes. Uh, and as I mentioned before, he, he was trying to get a different role. I believe it was Arthur Case, but uh, I'd have to double check that. But uh, yeah, I think it worked out. I think it was a perfect mm-hmm. casting uh, where they landed was, with him. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, generally speaking, I haven't seen, you know, all of Colin Hanks's uh, body of work. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly familiar with some of it, like Orange County and uh, Roswell. The House Bunny. I, I, haven't, I didn't watch that. Uh, and his, uh, I think it was quite good on uh, Fargo. I forget if that was season one or season two. I still two. haven't seen Fargo. See, that's the one that I'm behind in. Huh? Okay. Yeah, but he's quite good uh, on that show. But I feel like, generally speaking, obviously, you know, when, in this conversation, we keep talking about his dad. So he lives in his father's shadow. But I feel like as an actor, he generally kind of, he, he's been able to kind of not really like mirror his father's, uh, um, you know, capabilities or, you know, what, what he brings to the table. I think he's able to kind of be his own kind of actor mm-hmm. uh but i feel like he was definitely mirroring some of the cadences of tom hanks yeah. in his performance i felt like it felt Very a lot more so. deliberate yeah that they were, he was bringing the hanks the cadence uh, of his speaking yeah yeah, yeah. so just that, like I to you bring know up. america's yeah. dad sort of right mm-hmm. america's dad but jesus christ <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah and there's a lot in this episode too about like the sort of hot shot young priest sort of thing that was like building in popularity or more notoriety in the 1960s to be sure. Uh, not that we were both around for it, uh, technically, uh, speaking of father Gill again. Uh, so that one of the few location shots in this episode is when he is driving Peggy and that's actually downtown Los Angeles, uh, where he drops her off. And, uh, Colin Hanks has said he's really proud of that scene because he actually drove that uh, car, <laughs> which, uh, was a real cool, apparently a real cool moment for him. Yeah. I always wonder about that. Like, you know, when you get those old vintage cars, like it has to be so mm-hmm. nerve wracking when you're driving. Yeah. That. I remember there was an interview with uh, Jesse Plemons uh, around the mm-hmm. time the Irishman came out because there's that scene, you know, before one of the, the the more notable scenes in the Irishman, though I won't specify if anyone hasn't watched that, where Jesse Plemons' character is driving both Robert De Niro and Al Pacino's character, and I remember he was joking with I think Seth Meyers, where he's just like, if something goes wrong, and you know, I, I'm responsible for the death of the two of the greatest actors in uh you know american <laughs> history you know so definitely a nerve-wracking Honestly, I, day on I, set yeah I, I at first i was not thinking of irishman i was thinking of jesse plemons and black mass oh <laughs> I yeah, was yeah. Like, uh, oh. Yeah, yeah um 
Okay, so next thing here, uh, also in the commentary track for season two, uh, Matthew Weiner said that the escort storyline with Roger is actually based on a true story. Um, so the the guys at the ad agency set up a client with a prostitute, and the higher up in the firm, uh, Roger in this case, actually did like think that this was their wife. <laughs> and so th- there is something kind of unbelievable about that to an extent, unbelievable about that to an extent, because we've seen the sort of escort thing happen in Mad Men already. And so I did find it a little weird that I was like, oh, does... Doesn't, isn't Roger already aware of this sort of thing? Um, and yeah, I mean, that was a little odd. I, I found that to be kind of odd as well. Yeah, I was kind of just like, would Roger really be that naive or like, would he not catch right. on? I mean, certainly yeah, he's, you know, not the most faithful man himself. So, I mean, but then again, he did say he hasn't done this since the Navy. So, you know. <laughs> true, true. Uh, well, he hasn't had to. He's such a charming guy. And that's part of the issue, isn't it? Uh, he's always just been able to, you know, have relationships with people like Joan, just more sort of like, organically right or not even organically because that's like a workplace dynamic that he clearly abuses power but anyway we don't get have to get that mean. far into it he, yeah, yeah, yeah he's able to be more uh seductive, uh, seductive. yes that's a good word um john ham ad-libbed the you need to shave from uh when he's talking to sally uh, i already kind of mentioned that but uh, i do think it's always fun with, to see like what lines the actors ad-lib yeah. <laughs> it's you a very to. don draper thing mm-hmm. he's so in touch with that character because don draper yeah. is like that like he just repeats it back to you yeah you need to shave betty i mean sally yeah (laughs) he starts crying (laughs) um bobby burning his chin on the griddle so sad cute little bobby uh it's something that matthew weiner also did when he was young Mm. Uh, so another kind of true story thing there Mm. uh and shipka actually improvised in that scene where bobby's robot uh, like knocks something over yeah. in the table and then what after Don throws it and explodes and he and Betty leave the part where you see Sally reach over to start cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. She was just kind of doing that. Like it wasn't uh, even in the script. That's cute. <laughs> she uh, just sort of was like, we got to clean this up. Yeah. I mean, I do. You think it's intentional with short, uh, like the little robot, like Don is kind of caught in an impasse between generations and he's like trying to forge a new feature, but like, so beholden to the past. Do you think it was intentional? They like destroyed I, the robot. I think you're, Mm, no okay i think i think you're you're overthinking it will ashen well when, what's the point of a podcast if i can't overthink things <laughs> i'm just joking you could yeah. certainly take that away um and then the last piece of trivia here uh so the church that peggy's family attends uh, actually does exist in uh the neighborhood where peggy says she lives uh, bayview so it's called the holy innocence church it's in the flatbush section of brooklyn and i think that's really cool uh, they that attention to detail. Um, now, obviously, sure. I think they're they're shooting a fake version of the church. To be clear, but you yeah. know, uh, it's based on a real church, which I think is cool. I actually don't know for sure if they shot. Maybe they did like exterior shots of the church that are real. Uh, I yeah. forget how much of we, that we saw in the Amish episode, but yeah, I mean, it's fitting. You know, like you know, a history uh, to the house of the Lord. History mm-hmm. with these characters, history with their religion, history with their families, yeah. history. I, I think you're overthinking it, Will Ashman. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> I think you are underthinking it. That's I am known to do that. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Bad Men Men. I'm really hoping to have Mike back on the show next week. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, so he can have a confession with us. That sure. Would be great. Uh, mm-hmm. But until then, we'll see you all in the next Mad Men Men. Until then, we'll start uh, working on the next episode. See you all later. See you.